So a guy walks up to me before a gig somewhere in England, and he was really drunk and kind of an alpha male type, and he was leaning in way too close. But he said that he'd driven three hours to come see me. And I thought that was beautiful, so I stood around and talked to him for a little while. He said he was my biggest fan, which is a strange thing to hear and always makes you feel a little bit weird. But I said, thanks, man. And he said that he'd read the 25 things about me that I'd written on my website. And number 13 is that I get annoyed listening to drunk people talk, which is true. Then he laughed and promised that he wouldn't annoy me. And then he got really serious. And the very next thing out of his mouth, as he leaned in even closer, he felt the need to confess, and I quote, I ate my shit when I was a kid. Followed by a very long, awkward pause. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my hotel room in Bergen, Norway, getting ready for a gig tonight. I'd like to say up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to jump in head first and try to learn something along the way. This is a personal journal. It's an audio experiment. This show was founded with the belief that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things directly with you, the person who digs whatever it is that I do without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Mr. Phil Kaufman, the road mangler. And uh, the man is a legend. There's a lot of people that like to throw that word around, but I'm afraid Phil has earned it. He's written a book about his amazing life called Road Mangler Deluxe, and you can pick up a copy at phkauf.com. I highly recommend you getting a copy. It's it's just filled with really, really good stories about him road managing all of your favorite bands. Phil's one of the many interesting people that live in our neighborhood, and he had so many great stories that I decided I would cut this into two different episodes. And the first one, we talked mostly about the Rolling Stones and Graham Parsons. I was lucky enough to get to sit down and chat with Phil in his East Nashville living room. Anyway, I, my, my first day in the music business, once upon a time, I always like to start with once upon a time because my dad used to start with everything's once upon a time. So anyway, here we are. I had just gotten out of prison. I, I was a marijuana felon in the 60s, and I was given five years in the uh, custody of our, my federal government, who looked after me, clothed me, and fed me, and, uh, you know, just generally took care of me, because I probably, obviously, I was not able to do it, because I smoked marijuana. Uh, <laughs> but I have since, you know, put that behind me, <clears throat> and a lot of weight behind me, too. Uh, I... I had been in the film business, and they, uh, when I got out of the, when I got out of prison, I couldn't get a job back in the film business because I had a drug bust. Of course, now it's a prerequisite, you know, to get in the union. <clears throat> uh, so I was uh, being being the, the typical hippie of the '60s, you know, grooving and growing my hair and 
and being groovy and, <laughs> and all those cliches. And a friend of mine, Tony Fouts, called me and said, uh, Mick Jagger, Marion Faithful, and uh, Jimmy Miller, producer of Jumping Jack Flash, were coming to town to uh, mix an album called Beggar's Banquet. And they needed someone to look to take care of them who knew L.A., who could you just kind of road manage, I guess. That, was, you know, that word hadn't been invented yet, but I guess it was probably the beginning of, of my road managing career. Uh, so uh, they, uh, they gave me the address, and I, the, uh, Tony loaned me a couple of bucks to buy a pair of shoes and a clean shirt, and off I went to seek my fortune in the music business. Uh, I didn't have a clue who the Rolling Stones were. Being a, brought up on jazz and big bands, so I, I didn't know. I never heard of them. Ne- never, <clears throat> never heard of them. And when I was in prison, there wasn't much radio or TV. You know, pretty it was this pretty selective, pretty inane stuff that wouldn't lead to rioting. And and I guess the, the Rolling Stones were the antithesis of that. They would rile people up, and the prison wasn't going to have any riling <laughs> on their watch. <laughs> <clears throat> So uh, off I went and uh, knocked on the door. Jimmy Miller answered. I said, hey, I'm Phil Kopp, and I'm here to, you know, to you know, take care of you. He said, oh, come on in. So I walked. I went in there, and the phone rang. I said, I'll get that. I took the phone and, and uh, just started to, you know, generally just kind of observing things that needed to be done. And staying out of the and, way. And, and staying out of the way. And, and when something needed to be done, Marion Faithful was not well, and she needed help. So I got her a masseuse from the Chateau Marmont Hotel, the famous hotel where Bellucci died and Graham lived at times. Uh, and I just generally took care of them. Uh, I'd gotten a call saying that the mixing session at Sunset uh, Sound in L.A., which is no longer, was at 5 o'clock. So around 4.30, I said to Mick, and everybody, okay, let's get ready. You know, we got, we got, a, we got a, an appointment. So I got him in the car. Uh, it was a 1969 Cadillac convertible, which they had rented. So I drove him off to Sunset Sound, pulled up to the gate, and I said, uh, the guy says, uh, who is it? I said, Rolling Stones. He says, well, they're not here. I said, they're here now. <laughs> and I could hear the guy's voice in the background, holy shit, they're on time. <clears throat> I said, yes, they are on time, and they're going to be on time every day. And I expect you to be ready for them when they get here. The guy goes, uh... Yeah, yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> so we went in and we started mixing. They did the mixing, and I just kind of hung out. And I went out and bought fruit and vegetables and a little bit of booze, and to you know, to, you know, to keep them healthy. I didn't know that you're supposed to have bright drugs, which is probably, you know, better for all of us at the time and now. Uh, so that at about four o'clock in the morning, they they finished, and uh, I drove them back to uh, their 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 house in uh, Hollywood. And uh, and I said, well, good night, Mick. He said, well, how are you going to get home? I said, so, um, I'll probably have to walk. You know, the buses had stopped running. He said, oh, shit. He said, here. He gave me the keys to the Cadillac and all the money in his pocket. And it was about $1,500. You know, he said, <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow at 11. Went, yeah, okay. So I, I went home to my little hovel in, in uh, Sylvan Park. Not Silver Park, Silver Lake, I'm sorry. Only 3,000 miles difference there. And... Uh, and I blew the horn, and my girlfriend looked at me and said, you, 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 you stole that car. You stole it. You're going back to jail. I said, no. No, no, wait a minute. There's this thing called rock and roll. They give you money and cars, and we're going to be in it for a long time. <laughs> and that was, you know, what, 40, 44, 45 years ago. What was your day rate right back then? And it's, oh, it was, it was a uh, 
$100 for the whole thing, but wow. not the day rate. Yeah. I mean, for all the time they were there, they gave $100 cash. Cash! $100! That was a lot right there. Oh, are you it? kidding? You, uh, 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 an ounce of grass was $10. <laughs> You know, and and uh, toenail wine was you know or, or a gallon you know for four bucks. Toenail wine, yeah, that that you know the kind of the cheap wine they stomp with their feet. You know, you know <laughs> they could, so it, it's known uh, as toenail. You know, go go get a gallon of toenail, okay. But I mean that was it. Then I went back, you know, every day and did that <clears throat> and looked after them. And uh, Mick and Mario were going to go off uh, and, and on a holiday, and <clears throat> Keith was coming in. And keep from south of France, and he came in with this skinny, uh, southern boy in crust velour, shorts, <laughs> and, and multiple scarves, you know, and uh, it, and uh, the guy named Graham Parsons, and they asked me to take him out to Brandon DeWill's house. Now, those of you who don't know who Brandon DeWill was, he was the little boy in Shane. The movie Shane, Shane, don't leave me alone. Hey, come back, Shane. Why are you leaving? Mama loves you. And all that, all that kind of shit. Yeah. You know? uh, so I took him out there and he borrowed money for me to buy a six pack. And I said, I'm not going to like this guy. I'm going to get back to the, the guys who pay me. Yeah. So, uh, anyhow, uh, as a footnote here, in my hour of darkness, in my hour of great need, the Graham song, Brandon was one of the people who, who, uh, who died in a car wreck. In Colorado, but he was a nice guy, great guy, Brandon DeWill. Uh, he, he played John Wayne's son in, in one of those movies. Uh, but I digest. <laughs> <clears throat> and then uh, Graham ca came in, and uh, it, it was, he had been playing with Keith, you know, doing doing guitar, you know, country guitar licks, teaching Keith a little, you know, in, about country music. They were, they were kind of blues guys, and that, and that was their kind of their 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 bag then. <clears throat> was he giving him records and things like we, that? Well, that, yeah, that that's what happened. Was <clears throat> we went down to the Ace Record Store or something in L.A. and bought thousand dollars worth the records, and we and and went to uh, rented a player. A, yeah, this was all vinyl. Yeah, I went back to the house and and I played DJ, and Graham told me what to play. All right, now put on Merle Haggard. I kept the wine and lost the rose. All right, I hear this. Now put on George Jones, and and, there, and and Keith's sitting there with his guitar, kind of kind of listening to these 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 guitar riffs, and Mick is li listening primarily, I guess, to the to the uh, <clears throat> to the lyrics. So I mean that 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 was their kind of introduction to. Uh, They're just digesting all of digesting it. Digesting as much as they can, and Graham was Graham was there to. Uh, Kind of direct them, you know, in 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 the right direction. You know, some really really the traditional country music, Buck Owens, and and showing them the difference between Bakersfield and Nashville and L.A. country, and uh, and I think that's where Wild Wild Horses came from. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the only song uh, that Mickey Keith wrote that they let somebody else record first, as Graham did Wild Wild Horses. I I think that's true. You can check me on it. Uh, and uh, and that, that that's how I met Graham. And then they went back to um, to England. And Mick wanted me to go back. Well, he had to go back with him to uh, look after Brian Jones. But I was on parole, and I couldn't get a passport, so I couldn't go. That would have been a nice uh, nice, you know. Was that near the nice end trip. there for Brian Jones? Yeah, yeah. He he, he died before when well, they came back again to do the second album when I worked with them. Uh, he he had already passed away, and uh, Mick Taylor was 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 playing guitar with him, 
but uh, getting back to to the beggars' banquet, um, when, when they went back to England, then Graham called me and asked me if I would like to be his road manager. And I said, "Well, what is a road manager?" And he said, "Well, <clears throat> the same thing you did for the Stones, except you take it on the road." I said, "Well, oh, yeah, okay." He says, "And we'll pay you two hundred fifty dollars a week." I said, "Man, I don't know what road managing is, but I are one now." <laughs> Yeah. Hello. This is me, the road manager. <clears throat> so uh, uh, I went over. I met Graham, and they were in the studios recording um, recording uh, Wheels. And uh, I, I'd never been in a recording studio except you know with the Stones, but they, was, they weren't tracking most. They were mixing. So they hired me, and uh, off off we went. And I, and I did I did the laundry, I moved the equipment, I did everything alone. <clears throat> and then we got to we got to Chicago and we were playing with the birds. And we had more birds in our in our band than, than the birds than McGuinn. <laughs> was there some friction? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And this guy Jimmy Sider was their road manager and I was talking to him and I said, Who are all those guys over there carrying the equipment? He said, They're roadies. So what do they do? He says, Oh, they they move the I said, They do what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, you know, learning on the job. They do, yeah. I said, I said, whoa, I'm gonna get me some of those. So you know, in every city we went to, I hired local guys, you know, because I was driving the car, the, the rig, take them to the hotel, check them in the hotel, take the take the truck, go go to the venue, load out the equipment, plug everything in, go pick them up for a sound check. Well, I ain't doing that no more. Sleep about four I am, hours. If you see my yeah, if you see my um, my business card, it says uh, Road Mangler Deluxe. Moving people, not equipment. <laughs> you know? and I learned my lesson, you know, very early, and uh, and, and and that and then we then we just did this this dreadful tour, and it was at the time we turned down Woodstock because we 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 had a date in Detroit, and Detroit had just been blown up. They had the tanks, army tanks the were riots. there, the riots were going, and and in the meantime, people are all getting stoned and love loving at Woodstock. <laughs> so there was that was our first bad career choice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was on a train, Graham. Because Graham, Graham uh, always said, "I can't fly." You know, he didn't. He could fly. He just wanted to take a, take the train. Uh, was he afraid of flying, or he? Well, no. He yeah, he, he used just that likes excuse. the train. When, whenever we got Graham flew, he'd take an Ambien or something like that, and I'd have to have a wheelchair for he and he and Chris Etheridge or he and Michael Clark. Um, so they got they got uh, air flu or something. So they, they they get on the plane, take them take their you know their downer, and then we get to the where we're going. They have the three wheelchairs, please. <laughs> Hillman was the only one. Hillman was uh, you know, Hillman. Everybody's doing a little bit of you know, drugs, but Hillman always maintained to Is this he a pro? day. He was my favorite guy. I and mean, we used to go motorcycle riding. He had a he had a Triumph, and I had a different a different bike. Which I won't mention. It had to have been really difficult putting up with people who were medicated all the time. Well, I didn't know it. It's rock and roll, and they're hanging out with all the you know the big shots. And I think this is this is this is it. But when we did the train trip, I said I, we had we had almost like a private car. Everybody had their own compartment. I went around and said, "Give me all your drugs." I said, "I know what to do with them. If you want some? Come, you know, I'll get you." But we, we you know, I can't take another drug bust, and I, I can't be you know, I'm on parole. You know, so I, I took all the drugs, and then they knock on the door sheepishly. Did I have a toot? There's your toot. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, 
And it, it got, it, you know, it, the train trip it just got, got out of hand. Um, and that, that was, that was, that was how I met Graham. And that's how I saw it in the Rolling Stones. You know, uh, first day in the music business, new Cadillac at $1,500. And I've been still doing it. Clarence White, great guitar player. Graham had approached him to play in, in, in the uh, Lambrito Brothers. And he had a uh, song he wanted him to do called Jesus is Just All Right With Me. But McGuinn came by with more money. It was the birds were still more established. The Brito Brothers, you know, we weren't making any money. So anyway, Clarence went with, with, uh, with the birds. He went for the Do Re Me. And he got killed in a, in a car, ac car net accident, a m car murder. Woman drunk driving, you know, hit him in a loadout, you know, kill him. <clears throat> so we we all went to the funeral, and it was one of those big, big Catholic funerals with the Monsignor. And, oh, he was a good boy, and all that, all that. They, on and, and everybody was saying, you know, if Clarence had his choice, he would not have chosen that as as his as his, as his uh, you know as his funeral. So Graham Graham and, and I uh, Graham said to me. Uh, after we had a few uh, Shirley Temples uh, <laughs> and a couple of Roy Rogers drinks, you people over there, those are non-alcoholic kids' drinks. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, so uh, he said, "Look, if, if I die, you know, I want you to take my promise to take me out to the desert. You know, have a few beers and 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 and, and burn my body, and you know, so I can my spirit can go to uh, into the you know into Joshua Tree." It sounded like a good idea at the time because I never thought it was going to happen. But, you know, fast, fast forward, uh, you know, he, he dies. And, and I'm sitting around my house going, well, I should have been. What am I? Because he'd been up in Joshua Tree, you know, getting ready to do, release the new album. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, yada, yada, yada. I, I didn't, you know. And so my girlfriend says, you know, shut the fuck up. Do it or, or let's go to bed and fuck. You know, because, you know, you, you're boring the shit out of me with you. Shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. So I said, okay, I'm going. So I called, uh, I called Dale McElroy, who who had a, who was up there with Graham, who, who, who gave Graham his last breath. She had given him mouth to mouth when he died, and she had a hearse. She gets, yeah, because she she got some money, and she and her boyfriend used to travel in a hearse and camp because it was very comfortable. It was a Cadillac. So, so I called her, and she said, I know what you want. I know what you want. I said, well, I want it. She said, anything else? I said, yeah, I want your boyfriend too. I need help. So Michael Martin and I <clears throat> got in the uh, got in the got in the hearse and drove to the airport. And prior to that, I had called the uh, funeral home in in oh, was it not in Joshua Tree? The, the, the one a little bit uh, anyhow. It was, it was right out to my Joshua Tree where they had moved the body, and they said the body was on its way to LAX to uh, be shipped to its to the home in in New Orleans. So uh, we we got in the car and and, and went out uh, to the airport and we pulled up and uh, there's a loading dock out there where they take bodies and they they, they take the cast and they cover it with a, with a big big uh, brown box so it looks like a big box doesn't look like a casket. Is it a freezer? Is there a freezer out no, no, at no, the airport? No. Okay. No, this is going. This is yeah. This is going to. Uh, they, they pick it up and it was going out that night. So it, the body was you know, had been embalmed. So, uh, so uh, I pull up there and ask him if, if the uh, if the remains had, had arrived. And the guy says, "Oh yeah, they're right over there." 
<clears throat> so I, I, I said, well, I, the family has changed their plan. They want me to fly the body out of Van Nuys Airport. And, you know, they got looked at us. We were in cowboy hats and we had Sin City jackets on. And I said, look, it's an after hours job. We got a couple of girls lined up. And, you know, let's get this stiff out here. The guy goes, yeah, okay, man. You know, he's buying, <laughs> we're selling him, you know, fried ice cream. And he's, he's, he's going for it. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I walk over and I look at the papers. I said, Emma Goldberg. I almost stole the Jewish prune. Oh. I mean, this old lady, 90 years old, that died. Emma Gold, I almost took the wrong body. Oh, man. I said, no, I'm looking for the Parsons. He said, oh, no, that, that, <clears throat> the remains have not arrived yet. And so I walked out just as I was doing that. Here comes Graham on a flatbed. Oh, was, oh Lord. <laughs> With the, the, the Eagle song, something about, a, you know, the girl looking back at me. And, Winslow, Arizona. There's a girl in a Ford in a flatbed <laughs> for something. And here he comes, you know, strapped down uh, on the back of this thing. And I yelled, I go, hey, uh, and I tell him the same spiel about the family wanted to go to uh, Van Nuys Airport. So he says, okay, well, we, <clears throat> we got to take it over here to this, to this place and sign the papers. <clears throat> So uh, we, we we followed him over to the big hangar where, where they store the store bodies, uh, and I went up to the office and, and and I was signing the papers and I looked out here goes the police car pulled up and right in front of the blocking the <clears throat> blocking the, the 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 exit, and and I, I looked at him and looked at the papers and I signed Jeremy nobody, and and I looked at and I looked the cop wasn't doing he was just kind of standing there, so I came out it was like out of the office he yelled to the cop hey give us a hand here will you he looked at me and said. Oh yeah, sure. So we, we the, the body was on the gurney, and we opened up the hearse, and then me and Michael and this this attendant and the cop put Graham in the in the in, in the back of the hearse. I said thanks. I said, man, that's a shitty job, and I gave him the bullshit again about the girls, and yet we know that's why we're dressed where we are, and it was a per- proper hearse, you know, not like in a movie where it was kind of it got got a sunflower and hippie. Uh, were you terrified? I, I was. Yeah, I was nervous. Well, I was drunk. You know, I, you know, we had we had been drinking, but I, I was, you know, I'm, I was cursed of being a functionary drunk. I mean, I get drunk, but I could do stuff. The next day, I probably not remember, but I had done it. You know, I, you know, I take care of business. <clears throat> so uh, we said, "You said thanks, everybody." We get in the car and we're driving out. Michael's driving out, and he hits the wall of the hangar, the hangar door. Oh, I mean, God. they got seven forty sevens going in this thing. We got a, a little Cadillac, <laughs> and we hit we hit the fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, so the cop looked at us and said, oh, man, we're going to get fired. And the cop laughed and went away. <laughs> so off we went, uh, you know, on our, on our quest. And we uh, pulled into a, to a, to a gas station, petrol. And, uh, and I got five. I asked, at the time, they, they, they didn't have unleaded gas. It was regular, medium, and then high test. So I asked the attendant to fill it with high test. And the guy looked at the, the hearse and said, you know, uh, what do you want high test for? I said, because I don't want them to ping. In <laughs> European people, that's pink. I don't want them to ping. The guy looked at me, didn't, he didn't get the joke. So uh, we got back in the hearse and headed out to Joshua Tree. And I called my girlfriend, Kathy, Kathy Miles, and said, uh, you know, remember World War II, those movies where the, the BBC calling, BBC calling, you know, it, the icing is on the cake. <laughs> you know, like, so, you know. Secret so code I, words. I, you know, yeah, those code words. So, so I called her and said, the preacher is in the pulpit. <laughs> and she said, the icing is on the cake. And off we went. You know? <laughs> Very dramatic. So uh, so we, off we went, uh, uh, the five of us, me, Michael, Graham, Jose, 
and Jack, Jack <laughs> and Jim, Jim B. <laughs> Up we went, and Mickey, Mickey Big Mouth, which, which is a, a, an ale, looks like a pickle jar. And uh, we stopped at a place out in Cavazone, had a, went in, and had a couple of drinks and something to eat, and, and then we then we headed out to Joshua Tree, went past the uh, hospital where they had, they had taken him, past the Joshua Tree Inn. Then uh, up up uh, through the gates of the, up to the uh, state park, the federal park, up to Joshua Tree National Monument, and we drove and drove and drove. And I said, "This is as far as we can go, man. There's a place to." T- I was looking for a place to turn around. So it just turned out to be a place called Cap Rock. <clears throat> That's the only significance at that time was that it was a place to turn the hearse around. You were really <laughs> drunk, right? Now, yeah, so. it's, and we couldn't even see Cap Rock. But, but since then, people have put some kind of spiritual thing blend on as Graham's Cap Rock, you know nonsense <clears throat> but anyhow there's quite a nice you know little display out there at cap rock uh so we we, we opened up the hearse and, and and slid it out and because there's only two of us it was on an on an angle and i had michael pull the, tr- the the hearse forward and uh the, the the casket fell out and i oh sorry oh. sorry graham so so I, I i went to uh i went over to i went to go open the casket michael's going no man, don't man, don't do that. Don't do that. I said, oh, there seems to be some kind of a uh, a, a law where you're not, not allowed to oil the hinges on a casket because when you open it up, it goes <laughs> boom, you know. And there he was, just laying there naked with the, with the surgical tape on his chest where they had removed his organs, and uh, and I and I gave him the old, you know, when you're a kid, you you. Could touch somebody on the chest, they look down, you go zip up to their nose. I get that's the last thing he got from me because we used to do that to each other. Hey, what's <laughs> that, man? Did you throw up? Yeah, he goes zip, gotcha. It was a gotcha, yeah. And uh, that noise you hear is my dog shaking her head. She doesn't believe the fucking story, but <laughs> everybody's a critic. Every, yeah, yeah. So uh, then I, I poured the five gallons of, of, of gas on him and uh, lit a match and threw it in, in the casket and it went woof. Because when when that it lit it, that gas grabbed a lot of oxygen and it just whoop this big fireball went up in the sky and and his ashes started going and I mean the body was bubbly and I could see that it was oh, it was man. yeah yeah it was it wasn't cute uh, then just then we looked across the desert floor we saw headlights coming oh you know you know the, the cops the, the cops because they're seeing the fire out in the middle of the desert well it turned out to be you know just some other people going out there. But anyhow, we, we escaped out, went out the, the other end of, of the, the, the monument, went up through the back way up to uh, Big Bear and uh, Victorville and uh, spent the night, slept in the hearse. And the next day we, we drove home and we got, uh, we got uh, stopped in, in a traffic jam. It was a big traffic jam on, on, on Highway 101 going through the San Fernando Valley. And... Uh, Bumper to bumper, and I bu- ran into somebody, bumped into them, you know. And a cop came by, highway patrol came by, and he opened up the door, and all these beer bottles came out. And he said, "All right, you see, handcuffed Michael and I together." And Michael, 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 Michael's got to run around the shower to get wet. I mean, he's really thin. He had been a street junkie in Bombay, and yeah, you know, so he, you know, Michael was he had cleaned up, but but he, but he was, you know, yeah. So he just slipped the handcuffs off, and I said, "Oh." So uh, I, there was an off ramp. I got off the off ramp and uh, and da- and down, you know, and and, and left. It would be, I had a handcuffs on. He didn't, and never heard anything about it again. And I got somebody to 
set of handcuffs, he used to take them off. Wish I'd saved them. <clears throat> so, you know, then, then the next headlines the next day in the LA Times, rock star's body burned in ritualistic uh, rites out in the desert. And of course, in the meantime, I'm getting phone calls from everybody and they're going, well, well done, Phil, well done. You know, I mean, it was no secret who had done it. <clears throat> so uh, at that time, I was working with Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers uh, out in, uh, in, in the Gold Star Studios in LA. And, I, uh, and also at that time, there were my house in, in Chandler Boulevard in North Hollywood. <clears throat> it was like a museum, had big, all kinds of uh, uh, things, you know, neon signs and these huge Richfield oil eagles uh, uh, um, from, from a gas station. And it was kind of an art thing. And the uh, Warner Brothers was shooting a film there with Gene Hackman and uh, uh, Robert Altman. Was it Robert? No, no. Uh, well, anyhow, it was a movie called Night Moves, and they were using my house as a practical set. Gene Hackman and oh, I, I can't think of his name now. But uh, and I was at a student. I got a call from my girlfriend. Said the police are here. They want to talk to you. So I said, all right, just stay there. I'll, I'll come home. So I got on my. I had an old Harley. Uh, I had an old Harley, which uh, that I was riding, which which was the picture for the new album. The gram. <laughs> that, 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 that I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but I came back on that on my bike, and and we went in the back. Graham had been living with me in, in in the guest house in the back. Went back. The police talked to me. She and uh, we know you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I said okay. I, you know. So look, we we we're gonna we have to take you downtown. Book you. So they took me. So they they said we'll put the handcuffs on when we get in the car. So as we were walking out, you know, uh. You know, the, the, the film crew stopped because, they, you know, these two cops had taken me out. And uh, Gene Hackman says to the director, we're shooting the wrong movie here. <laughs> what, what was that? What was his name? Gene Hackman. And... So anyhow, they, they took me down to, to uh, Culver City where, where the police station because the, the body had been stolen from that jurisdiction. And, <clears throat> and now I backtrack because Graham was always getting in trouble. So I had a lawyer and a, and a bail bondsman on call. Graham had money and it was good for it. So uh, uh, when I got to to the police station, the, 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 the lawyer and the bail bonds were waiting. So they booked me and fingerprinted me and they bailed me right out. And uh, they all said, this is a free ride, you know, for the business you, you gave us. Uh, Graham, Graham was living at the Chateau Marmont and, and he, he got arrested for felony jaywalking. He, he, he was going to Schwab's drugstore. And he didn't trust his wife with the drugs, so he carried the drugs, and he and he and he crossed the street on a jaywalk with with the drugs in his pocket. So they got arrested. That, that I mean, that's I and I had the, I had uh, Harry Fratkin, Harry Fratkin, uh, and uh, Bruce, Bruce Wolt was the was the lawyer. Harry Fratkin was the, the bail bosser. Don't wait in jail. Call Harry for bail. <laughs> that was his, that was his motto. So Harry Harry knew. You know, I call Harry Graham. Okay. Because Graham had been arrested several times at the Palomino once, and <clears throat> yeah, you know, so it was, it was the, the the arrest du jour. So uh, they 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 they, anyway, they cut me loose. So uh, we went to court, and they charged me and Michael, Michael and I, with uh, Graham <laughs> Graham theft, Parsons, but they charged us with stealing a casket because the body had no intrinsic value. Wow! And the fine was thirteen hundred dollars, that which 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 Dale paid. So that's yeah. it. Just yeah. uh, they cared about the casket and not yeah, yeah. the person. Yeah, her, the Gretchen, uh, Gretchen's Graham's 
the widow Parsons, as I call He was in the process of divorcing her. And I had the divorce papers. And while they were in a Joshua tree, I was going to serve her. But I couldn't because he had dead. It was moot. There's no more, no, no, no more serving. So uh, her, her dad is a newscast. It was on like the local newscast. And so he, he had paid for the casket and, and wanted his money back. And his daughter. Wow. He, got, he got both. Was the family, um, I'm guessing the family was really angry about. Uh, well, well the, the, there really was no, no family except his two sisters. <clears throat> his mother had remarried this guy Parsons. Graham's dad was named Coondog Connors, or so they say. <clears throat> he committed suicide. He was a World War II hero, and he, he, his job was manufacturing boxes in Georgia, Wakehurst, Georgia, which is I'm going to next month for a big Graham thing, October, October 12th. Uh, and, and the Snivelys, which was Graham's mother, were big, big orange growers down, down in uh, uh, Winter Haven, Florida. So, so Graham's dad had, had committed suicide. His mother had <clears throat> drunk herself to death the night of his high school graduation. But in the meantime, she had married this, this, this guy named uh, Bob Parsons. Now, Bob Parsons was referred to by Graham as an alligator shoe, pinky-wearing, uh, you know, uh, coon dog from, from Louisiana. Uh, so, uh, so when, when Graham died, he was, he was trying to establish, he was trying to establish residence by having the body buried there because, because there was a lot of money, Graham's money and, uh, uh, and, and the money he had gotten from, from marrying his, his, his Graham's mother. So, uh, and I kind of put the kibosh on that. Now there's a movie come out, uh, for Gandalf Henning, uh, called uh, I forget what it's called but 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 he he interviewed a lot of Graham's relatives who Graham never never even mentioned so now they're all of a sudden they're all they're all offended and you know but it was Graham's wish I mean I mean I didn't make this up I knew I was going to get caught yeah. you know you don't go stealing bodies of, of rock stars well <laughs> and well, you yeah, said that you, you know, guys both promised each other yeah we made the deal and and retrospect as somebody asked me you know, if you had died first, would Graham have honored it? And I stopped to think for a minute. I said, yeah, he'd do it, but he'd hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to get, he wouldn't get his hands dirty. You know? He wouldn't be toting no gasoline. <laughs> I've been to the grave in uh, in New Orleans. Um, is there any remains of Graham? In well, the yeah. I mean, the body didn't burn, you know, all, all the way. It was just, you know, like if you see these pictures of monks who self-immolate. Yeah. There's a lot left over. But not enough, you know. You know, and they, I think they must have planted him standing up because the gravesite is only it's tiny. about sixteen inches round. You yeah. know, the stone is. They say the, God's own singer is coming home. I believe a little bitty yeah, round. Yeah, thing. yeah. But you know, Graham, uh, Graham never had much commercial success, but he was very, very, very popular with his peers. He influenced a lot of people, and if you, you look around, people will. Well, see, it was Graham Parsons, uh, you know, who did it. But don't forget Chris Hillman. You know, it wasn't all Graham. Graham died, so he, everybody gets his. But it was also Chris Hillman, who was who was a a, a great a great musician. Yeah. And uh, and they wrote this a lot of the songs together. But it's always Graham this and Graham that. But you know, Chris Hillman deserves you know keeping Graham alive. Yeah. You know, and uh, and he's still out there. Yeah, he's still touring. out there. Yeah, I mean, I I you know, I really like Chris. He's you know he's, he's a good guy. Uh, but, uh, but anyhow, that, that was all Graham Fest, Graham Fest, you know, you know, and, uh, Chris Etheridge just died, who was the bass player with the Philanthropy Brothers. 
and he 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 wrote she with Graham, and they you know it wasn't all Graham, but Graham you know Graham did it, but anyhow he did influence a lot of his peers, and uh, but we pl we played the Palomino Club in in L.A. The number one country western club in in America at the time. Uh, Tommy Thomas, the owner, said, "Look, you know, long hair hippie country that ain't gonna go here. You know, they'll kill you." He said, "I said, well, Wednesday, there's 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 no it's a uh, <clears throat> there's no no shows, so uh, you know, give us a shot." So he booked us in there, and we had you know Peter Townsend showed up, Linda Ronstadt showed up, all these people showed up, and. Uh, and at the end of the night, we owed Tommy, I think, three or four hundred dollars because we had gone over the bar bill had exceeded to a double by what they were paying us. But it went well. It went, yeah, it went well. So they booked us again. So then all of a sudden, you know, you know, later on, Emmy Lou and all, all, all the big people, Ricky Skaggs, uh, everybody got to play the Palomino. It was, it was a prestigious place to play because it was it was it was country. It was the long hair country. And Tommy Thomas, uh, the owner, uh, Said, he said, Mangler, your name's on the door. And he went out to the front door of the Palomino with a, with a, uh, with a Sharpie and wrote my name on the door. He said, you're, you're always welcome here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, and so we, we, one day we were doing a show there. I think it was uh, Do uh, Dolly Parton's sister. Um, what's her name? Uh, Stella. Stella Parton. And we were all, Emmy Lou was there and, and all, all the people. And Tommy with Thompson was in uh, Las Vegas. And he called, you know, you know his manager said, how's business, how's business? He said, everybody, everything's cool, everybody's here. And he mentioned it, and he said, oh, Phil Coffin, pick up his check. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have all these stars, with him, but Phil Coffin, you know, pick up his check. <laughs> yeah. Membership habits has its privileges. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's just that I, you know, I helped bring bring all that kind of music too, you know, through Graham and, 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 and the Burrito Brothers. Yeah. To, to, to the Palomino exposed a lot of the LA you know if, if, if people to uh, this, this new genre this country rock if you will. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in to part one and uh, please stop by Bill's website at phkauf.com and pick up a copy of his book. In part two, we'll talk about Charles Manson, Frank Zappa, and Phil trying to escape from a prison in Gothenburg, Sweden. So you definitely want to check out part two. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and pick up a CD, a t-shirt, get a download. You can buy one of my photographs. You could buy one of Amy's albums. We'll mail anything that you get. We'll mail it from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Leave a little comment on there. The comments really help. It helps us move up through search rankings, and you guys have been doing a great job with that. Thank you very much. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend about it. and Help us spread the word. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.